0: Today, we will continue in the study of the fruit of the Spirit. We will be looking at the seventh fruit, which is faithfulness. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. As I said before, and I'll say it again, The first three of the nine fruit, love, joy, and peace, have much to do with our relationship with God. The middle three fruit, long-suffering kindness and goodness, have much to do with our relationship with others. The last of the three fruit are much more personal, faithfulness, gentleness, or meekness, self-control. So what is in the flavor of the fruit faithfulness? And how and why should we cultivate this fruit of faithfulness in our lives? I believe there are two connected elements to the word faithfulness. On one hand, being faithful means trustworthy and dependable. A faithful person is a person of honesty and integrity. Someone you can rely on. Faithful people keep their word. They do what they promise. They can be trusted not to cheat or lie. Faithfulness is simply the virtue of reliability. On the other hand, being faithful means exercising that kind of trustworthy behavior over a long period of time over a long period of time. Faithful people have proved that they can be trusted in the long haul. You don't have to check up on them. You don't have to worry that even if they did a good job last week, they might let you down this week. No, faithful people show that they are routinely dependable in all kinds of ways and all kinds of circumstances. Faithfulness is the character of someone you know you can simply rely on all the time. And that fact is exactly the truth about God. That's why faithfulness is the fruit of God's spirit at work within us. Those led by the spirit, those walking in the spirit, like it says in Galatians 5, will produce the fruit of faithfulness in their lives. It's simply a reflection of God's faithfulness. This fruit, faithfulness, I'm coming to believe may be the most important fruit of the nine. And let me tell you why. You see, when it's all said and done, and you and I stand before God. At that point, faithfulness is what it will be all about. It will either be the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you. You see, faithfulness is essential for those who would receive the crown of life. In Revelation chapter 2, we have those letters to the seven churches. Jesus said to the church of Smyrna in chapter 2, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. In chapter 3, there's a letter to the church of Philadelphia. Jesus said, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. And so... I'm coming to believe that faithfulness may just be the most important of the nine fruit. Today, we will be looking at faithfulness in three parts. We will begin by thinking about the faithfulness of God. Second, we will look at several Bible examples of faithfulness. And third, we will consider our calling as Christians to a life of faithfulness. And so, the faithfulness of God. Where do we begin? You know, each one of these parts of the message, we will only be scratching the surface. I mean, we could share several messages just on the faithfulness of God. We could talk for weeks about uh, examples of faithfulness that we find in the Bible. And then we could have a series of messages on practical faithful living. And so I'm afraid we're just scratching the surface here this morning. But can you think of anything the Bible says more about God than his faithfulness? I don't know. Possibly his love. But the Bible Speaks of God's faithfulness over and over. One of the oldest poems in the Bible describes God as the rock. The rock. Deuteronomy 32, 3 and 4, we have the words of Moses For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. And I like that. He is the rock. He's not a rock, but he's the rock. And because he is the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. The book of Psalms celebrates God's faithfulness from one end to the other. Just a few. Psalm 33, 4, and 5. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 36, verse 5. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. How did the Israelites know so well the faithfulness of God? How could they be so sure that the Lord their God was a faithful God? They repeat it, and they repeat it, and they write about it, and they sing about it. It's all through the Old Testament. How could how could they be so convinced that God is so faithful? Well, I thought about that, and I had to think. I believe the Israelites knew their history. The stories of God's faithfulness were told over and over. They were passed down from generation to generation. Stories about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. How God kept his promise to Abraham when he brought them up out of Egypt. Stories of how God divided the Red Sea, and brought judgment on the Egyptians, how God provided for them in the wilderness with food, water, and protection. Their history kept them singing and writing about God's faithfulness simply because God had proved it through the long centuries of their history. They knew God could be trusted because he kept every promise He ever made. And so that's why we have the book of Psalms and the writings of Moses over and over proclaiming the faithfulness of God. Turn if you would to Lamentations 3 and I'd like to read 22 through 25. Again, we're thinking about God, our faithful God. But let me show you a few things here. If you're familiar with Lamentations three, you know this chapter begins with words of great despair, horrible despair. I almost hate to read it. Jeremiah had reached rock bottom. Israel or Judah, I believe, was in just a a low state of spiritual decline. But in the midst of this horrible distress, he reflects on the faithfulness of God. Lamentations 3, 22. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. You see, the reason even we are not consumed is because God is faithful. His compassions fail not. Every sunrise is another opportunity for a sinner to repent and another opportunity for the Christian to serve the Lord. His compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Verse 24, because God is faithful, we can place our hope in him. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. That was Jeremiah's conclusion, even in the midst of a very hard time. James one seventeen says, every good gift is, and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of light, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. The phrase in that verse, the Father of light. If you would look in ancient Greek grammar, it would read, the Father of the light. The Father of the light, the Son the moon, the stars, in whom there is no variation. They remain in perfect order, predictable to the very second. No shadow of turning. Turning refers to a change of motive or character. That is not God. Psalm 19, the first six verses read, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And them he has set a tabernacle for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. It rising is from one end of the heaven and it's circuit to the other end and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The faithfulness of God. The heavens declare it. The firmament shows his handiwork with no variation or shadow of turning God is faithful and because God is faithful God can be trusted 1 Corinthians 1:9 says God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord 1 Corinthians 10:13 says no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And that same faithful God that can help you in a time of temptation is the same faithful God who has set this world into motion With no variation or shadow of turning, we could go on and on talking about the faithfulness of God. Let's think now of several Bible examples of faithfulness. Now, I want some input from you. What Bible characters come to your mind when you think of a life of faithfulness, just faithful Bible characters? Say it out. Joseph. Thank you. I missed that one. Moses. Moses. Daniel. Daniel. Yep. Didn't have him on my list, but that's a good one. Yep. Had that one down. Very good. Paul. Yep. Okay. So, just your response shows me that you know what faithfulness is all about. Um, and that's good. But two of them that I heard, Moses and Paul, that's the two I'd like to look at. But I thought of others. I thought of Jonathan. I thought of Esther. I thought of the three Hebrew children. Samuel. We could go on and on, talking about faithful Bible characters. But let's think about Moses the faithfulness of Moses. If you would turn over to Hebrews chapter 3, I'd like to show you something there in verse 1 and 2. There in Hebrews 3, well Hebrews is about comparing the old covenant with the new and it goes on and on and it compares the law to the, you know, to Christ and and so right here we have a comparison of Jesus Christ and Moses. But I want to just show you, we're not going to spend time here, but I want to just show you a phrase in the end of verse 2. But let's start with verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. Now, that last part of verse 2 is referring to Moses' faithfulness, and that is actually a quote from God himself. Now, turn back to Numbers 12, and we'll see where that was said and quoted. These are the words of God. In Numbers 12, I will read 6, 7, and 8, but first I'll just tell you what's happening here. In the first part of Numbers 12, Moses is facing a crisis within his own family. And so you have Aaron and Miriam challenging their brother Moses for marrying an Ethiopian woman. They were upset about that. And then they just go on and they, and they attacked him personally. They also are saying, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Moses. Has he not spoken through us also? And so Moses, being a meek and humble man, he says nothing. But if you notice there at the end of verse 3, it says that God heard these words. And so in verse 6, 7, and 8, God speaks in Moses' defense, and to the three of them, this is what he says. Numbers 12, 6. Then he said, Hear now my words. Is there a prophet among you? I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses?" Now, we could go on and and look how that story unfolds. It's very, very interesting. But why did God single out that quality of faithfulness in Moses? Well, if you read the book of Numbers, especially chapters 11 through 16, you will quickly see a long list of problems that Moses had to cope with as a servant of God. And I will just mention some of those problems. In chapter 11, the people are tired of eating manna. They're complaining. Some of them are saying they wish they were back in Egypt. They want meat. How was Moses supposed to feed them all with meat? Meat you just don't create overnight. But Moses was faithful there in that situation and he called out to God. In chapter 12, we already looked at that, but Moses is facing criticism from his own family about his marriage, and also they were challenging his credibility as God's spokesman. He was faithful in that. Chapter 13, Moses is facing discouragement from the negative report of the majority of the spies sent to Canaan. They came back, they said, We can't do it, there's giants. Moses handled that faithfully. Chapter 14, grumbling, rebellion of the whole people. In chapter 14, he received several death threats, faithful. In chapter 16, you have the rebellion of key tribal leaders, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And you know how that story went down. No pun intended. (laughs) They did go down. But yet in the midst of this, problem after problem, crisis after crisis, Moses stayed faithful to the task God had given him. God knew he could trust Moses even under enormous pressure. And so I believe that's why it is God himself who commends Moses for his faithfulness. My servant Moses, he is faithful in all my house. And so, another Bible character of faithfulness is the Apostle Paul. Paul's life, I believe, gives us a beautiful example of the two aspects of the fruit faithfulness. First, Paul was a man that was trustworthy and dependable. He was also accountable and transparent with his fellow workers. Now, Throughout Paul's ministry, Paul encouraged the Gentile believers to give to those in need. And it would seem Paul saw the gift of money as real tangible proof that the Gentile believers had truly received the gospel and were obeying it by sharing what few material goods they had with the Jewish believers in need. And so collections of for the needy would be taken, and different places you read, the people would give generously, and then someone had to transport the collection of money. Now, we might think that Paul could have simply said, hey, you know, just give me the money, I'll take it to Jerusalem, I'm headed that way anyhow, trust me, I'm an apostle, I'll take care of it. But no, if you read through Paul's writings, Paul was very cautious about this matter of handling money. Paul made sure there were several people beside himself involved in every aspect of the project. People who were trusted and appointed by the church. And so in those situations, Paul let the church decide who would go with him to transport these funds. And so these men together would oversee the collection process and then travel along with Paul to make sure everything was honest and accounted for. These arrangements were often quite complicated. Uh, You can read about that through Paul's writings. They didn't have communication like we do today. And these arrangements were probably right expensive and I'm sure travel by land and sea was not cheap in those days any more than it is today. And I would think people being people, they probably criticized Paul for his carefulness in this matter. I'm sure he heard things like, so why send all these people? Why waste so much of the offering just to transport it to the people in need? But Paul insists in 2 Corinthians 8, 20 and 21 and listen to his words, and these two verses are surrounding preparation For delivering a large gift of money. And you can turn there if you'd like. But there's a lesson here for us when we think of faithfulness. 2 Corinthians 8 20 and 21. The words of Paul, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord but also in the sight of men. And so Paul was very accountable. He was also very transparent. And I think these verses would be good verses. Um, I think they should be hung on the walls of every church, home, business, school, mission, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Paul demanded full accountability for himself and also those involved in the process of handling money. As I said in the beginning, being faithful means being trustworthy and dependable. A faithful person is a person of honesty and integrity, someone you can rely on. And we see that example in Paul's life with the way they went about um, transporting money and uh, relief. I'd like to think now about the other aspect of faithfulness and that is exercising that kind of trustworthy behavior over a long period of time. We call that long-haul faithfulness. If you would, turn to 2 Corinthians 11. I'd like to read verse 23 through 33. Here in this passage, Paul shares a list of hard life experiences. And this list of hardships gives us a picture of what we mean by long-haul faithfulness. And I'm not going to read these verses word for, for word, but I'm going to just simply read the phrase that points out the hardship. And so in verse 23, Paul writes, In labors more abundant, faithful. Verse 23, In stripes above measure, faithful. In prisons more frequently, faithful. Face death often, verse 23, faithful. Verse 24, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one, faithful. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods, faithful. Verse 25, once I was stoned, faithful. Verse 25, three times I was shipwrecked, faithful. 25, a night and a day I have been in the deep, Faithful. Verse twenty-six in journeys often faithful. Twenty-six in perils of water faithful. Twenty-six in perils of robbers faithful. Verse twenty-six in perils of my own countrymen faithful. Verse twenty-six in perils of Gentiles faithful. Twenty-six in Gentiles, um, in perils in the city faithful. Twenty-six in perils in the wilderness faithful. Twenty-six in perils in the sea faithful. Twenty-six, in perils among false brethren, faithful. Twenty-seven, in weariness and toil, faithful. Twenty-seven, in sleeplessness, often faithful. Twenty-seven, in hunger and thirst, faithful. Twenty-seven, in often fasting, faithful. Twenty-seven, in cold and nakedness, faithful. Twenty-eight, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily my deep concern for all the churches faithful. I think we get the picture of what long-haul faithfulness looks like. Faithfulness, as I said earlier, faithful people show that they are routinely dependable in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of circumstances. Faithfulness is simply being faithful in the calling that God has entrusted to you. That was the Apostle Paul. Both Moses and Paul were simply faithful servants of God. God said, my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my house. Paul too, the Bible says, was a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Both of these men served God with a heavenly focus, with a heavenly goal. Hebrews eleven nine 9, and 10 says, By faith he, Moses, sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, we have Paul's words, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Faithful men, faithful, godly Bible characters. So let's think now of us and our calling for faithfulness. I go back to Hebrews three where we read about Moses being faithful. Hebrews three points out that Jesus was faithful as God's son, even more so than Moses was faithful as God's servant. Jesus was faithful to the task he came to accomplish. He did the Father's will and finished the work he was given to do in spite of all the obstacles and temptation. And so Jesus calls for faithfulness among his followers. Following Jesus requires commitment and perseverance. It means denying yourself and taking up the cross. It's not for those who are entangled with all kinds of other priorities. It's not for those who say, Lord, Lord to Jesus, but never do what he says. It's not for those who want an easy road. It's not for the faint of heart. Following Jesus is hard work, and it takes much commitment. Now, sometimes when we get weary from the hardship of life we like to thank, or at least I like to think, that, that if I would just pack up my stuff and my family and move a 100 mile away, or a 1,000 miles away, or 3,000 miles away from where I live now, life would have to be easier. Have you ever had such thoughts? It just gotta be better somewhere else. You know, when I was a youth, we kind of dreamt of Like, man, it'd be cool to go out west and live. But then I found out that the guys out, the youth out in the west, they thought it'd be cool to, like, go back east. (laughs) Maybe I'm the only guy that has such thoughts. Or I, I may have thoughts like, you know, if I had a different occupation. Or if I wasn't a preacher. Or if I wasn't a member in Southeastern Conference life would have to be easier. The fact is, life is hard. Life is a struggle. It's hard in Virginia. It's hard in Kansas. It's hard in California. Where you decide to hang your hat doesn't change that fact. And that's original with me. That little rhyme there. The Bible says we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And I'm not saying there is no joy in the journey of life. There is joy. What I'm simply saying, that life is hard. And the sooner we realize that fact and buckle down and go to work, the happier and the more joyful we will be. That's what I'm saying. Don't go... Hide in a corner. Just go to work. Faithful people are steady people. They are not out frantically chasing rainbows. They take life as it comes, and with God's grace, they live one day at a time. Today, God is calling us to faithfulness. Long-haul faithfulness faithfulness in our personal commitment to Christ, faithfulness in our calling to serve others, from simply being an example of the believers to taking the gospel to the jungles of Africa. God is calling us to faithfulness in our relationships, be it at home, at church, at work, in the community, in our marriages, God is calling us to faithfulness. Being faithful is much more than just checking off the boxes. Being faithful is much more than just checking off a list of completed good deeds and actions. You know, it's possible to be a faithful person only on paper. Like the Pharisee praying in the temple. Do you remember him? Do you remember what he said? He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. This Pharisee was a beautiful looking man on paper, and it was on paper only. You know, we too can go through life. We can be doing good things. We can be checking off the boxes, marking off the list. However, The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, I may have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I may have all faith so that I can remove mountains, and I can bestow all my goods to feed the poor and even give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. The Pharisee praying in the temple, proclaiming his own faithfulness, was nothing more than a self-righteous spirit. The fruit of the spirit faithfulness is surrounded by humility. It's surrounded by the grace of God. Faithfulness is an expression of walking in the spirit and living in the spirit. Faithfulness is motivated by the love of God in the heart. You don't even have to use any words, you see. As important as the fruit faithfulness may be, I believe it is divinely placed as fruit number seven. The fruit of the spirit faithfulness follows on the heels of love Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, and goodness. And so in closing, I remind you again of the words of Jesus to the church of Smyrna. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. And also his words to the church of Philadelphia. I am coming quickly. Hold fast. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. You see, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. God bless you. We'll call for a song.